Welcome to The Obsession Digression. A podcast that explores all of the cultural things we're obsessed with. I'm Sam Benarchik. And I'm Katie Walker. Boop, boop. Katie. Yeah. So before we are just chit-chatting before we started recording, and we'll yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis, and how <laughs> of all the actors he could probably best um, replicate Julia Roberts' role in Pretty Woman. But, yes. and that was, guys, you missed out on a great conversation, but... Um, <laughs> yeah. I oh, and I forgot say- to mention, like, like I like this is really important to just knowing who I am. But that, I mean, I've seen that movie like a thousand times, and because of it, I like I've tried so hard. I dress like a complete slob, and I go into these nice department stores because I really <laughs> want to recreate that moment where like two bitchy, you know, saleswomen are like, "There's nothing here for you," you know, and like. You, you don't belong in this fancy store. The only problem is, is that I could not have the, like, addendum to that where she comes back and she's like, do you work on commission? <laughs> Big mistake. Because, I mean, they would be right. I do not belong <laughs> in that store. You're, you're correct. Yes. Fair. But, but so Aww. far, no one has called me out on my slobbishness. I mean, I, I dress, like, horribly when I go shopping, in part because, like, I just don't, like, I hate shopping in person. I just hate going to a mall so i really don't Ugh, want people to malls. approach me or to spray me with anything or you know to touch <laughs> me or anything like that so anyways so i just i look like such a ragamuffin when i go and but so far strategy has no not worked. but anyways well, back to daniel hmm. day lewis all right you know what i was thinking about too i've i don't think i've ever seen pretty woman all the way through um <sighs> i'm sorry to say well i know the big mistake scene though but yeah uh, someone, where was I? I can't remember what made me think of When Harry Met Sally. And I thought, like, that was another, like, 80s movie that's really good that I thought, like, man, that movie used to be on TV all the time. Like, it was just part of, like, pop culture. And that's, like, a really good movie. But I have not yeah. thought about that movie in years. Yeah. And we yeah. should really bring it back. We Highly should. Recommend. I went to the deli, the famous cats? deli. Yeah, I went to yeah. Cats when I was in New York uh, last Isn't time. Isn't that place so, so fun? Also delicious. It was so good good oh my it's just and like i'm on this new diet where all you can eat is like meat and cheese and so i could just Are go you doing there and the be ketogenic like, diet yes so I, yeah <laughs> so i would just be like just hold the bread and give me all like the shit ton of like roast beef or whatever dude and it would be glorious it would be so good i just good. love too that all right first of all that's a place if you go for the first time it is very confusing like you really need to be taken there by someone who's already been understands how it works but mm-hmm. because you go and they give you a number and then you get sort of like herded into a pool that's then like distilled into multiple deli counter lines. And then you tell them what they want, you want. And then they don't really wordlessly, they go and then they cut a piece of the pastrami that you've ordered and bring it to you for you to taste to make sure it's like to your liking. Mm-hmm. And I love the idea of doing what we do with wine in fancy restaurants or so I've heard. <laughs> I've never done this. <laughs> but doing oh, it with just all our this food. Vintage. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I know if I if that ever like happened going to, me, to McDonald's a, and just having like, mm-hmm, a one fry, fry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a single chicken nugget, yes, a, a, just a, a sliver of a filet fish, ah, yes, yeah. I, I wouldn't I even know what to say if someone brought me a bottle of wine at a restaurant that asked me to taste it in front of whoever I was with. I would just be like, yeah, that's 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 good. Like I would, this, I don't know, yeah. just 
I'd probably, I'm ashamed to say, I would probably make some performance out of tasting it and pretending I was doing something. Right. But really in my mind, I would just be like counting 10 or something and yeah. squishing. <laughs> and like smelling it first. Cause you've got to like mm-hmm. do the like the swivel and the sniff. And then you take a like tiny little sip you hold it then you swallow yeah it's a whole performance i and then you're supposed to taste it with your mouth like open like you're not supposed to be tight-lipped when you like drink it or something that's disgusting yeah i know it's (laughs) i would just like you would just like dribble out of my mouth (laughs) (laughs) what um but i have had that happen to me at like a fancy restaurant before and it was interesting because um i don't know it was like just Ryan and I and I like the waiter picked me to be the wine taster like the woman so I was like well to be like what good on you waiter to be you know like I guess like the woman is the expert in this scenario I was like I'm gonna perform this you're like I am a doctor so (laughs) yeah I totally did that I totally was like oh yeah this will be fine um but fortunately I knew because I was with Ryan like he didn't give a shit (laughs) yeah right it's like low stakes um, right so it was not too bad but dude, you were talking about Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh, I just want to say, I, when I flew out here a couple months ago on the plane, I finally watched Phantom Thread. God, that okay. movie was so good. Is that a Star Wars? What? Is that a Star no, Wars thing? It's the, <laughs> no, it's the new Paul Thomas Anderson movie. It was uh, Daniel oh. Day-Lewis' like, final <laughs> performance. <laughs> <laughs> Although there should now be a double feature of the Phantom Thread and the Phantom Menace. I'm sorry, I like I had heard, I think I had heard of Phantom Thread, but it just like wasn't on my radar. And I do it's not keep weird. up with Star It was Wars. not the movie I thought it was gonna be. It is about <laughs> it turns out it's about this sort of like couple who are just like it's sort of like fall into this like sadomasochistic relationship where they just love like they oh, kind of just fall shades. deeper they fall deeper in love as they yeah but it's not actual like BDSM but it's like more emotional and psychological and physical like in some ways where they just they fall deeper in love as they take turns like wielding power over one another dude that it's, happens in the last 50 shades movie like yeah, the roles I mean, become reversed i'm just saying oh really maybe. yeah maybe that's maybe where you got it this i haven't seen those movies yet <laughs> I don't know what I said not. yet. I'm probably never going to see them. But I, I have seen them in hotel rooms because, like, whenever I'm traveling and, you know, like, you're like, oh, I, I finally have cable TV for some reason. Like, you just, like, give yourself permission to watch, like, shit when you're traveling, or at mm-hmm. least I do. No, it's true. Um, You know, like, think about plane movies. Like, plane movies are usually shit. Uh, so, anyway, about, so I was like... like movies where people are in hotels they go in they put down their bags they just kind of mindlessly throw on the tv and then they go Mm -hmm. do something really important like order room service and do work and so Mm -hmm. i go through those motions of being like throw my stuff down and just throw on the tv but i don't have anything important to do after so yeah i just then i'm just just like oh now the tv's on i'm watching it yeah Yeah. so anyway so i've seen all three believe it or not like at various junctures no like (laughs) just i mean i'm not kidding you i think like i saw the first one when i was in ann arbor and the second one when i was in missouri and the third one when i was in new york so (laughs) i don't know it was just like completely random but each time i travel it's like like fall into the trap of Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy. It's just. It's Would you say they me. get better or worse, no. or are they consistent? 
they're consistently bad. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but it's, I don't know, it's just, it's fun spectatorship. Um, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I would feel the same way about, you know, like a monster truck derby. Like, if it's on, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna watch it. Like, if I'm at a monster truck Whoa. derby, I'm just, I'm gonna like, look and see what happens. So it's, you know, it's the same so affect. You know, that's so funny you bring that up. Like, I really think that like, Given our childhoods, respectively, I'm jumping to some conclusions too, I guess, but like how ubiquitous monster trucks were, they came up there mentioned <laughs> so many things. Like I really thought they'd be a bigger part of my adult life. Yeah. <laughs> but that's I have true. yet to go to a monster truck rally. I've have not seen one advertised in many years now. Yeah. I have not been I've not actually been to like a full on monster truck rally. I've been to like like minor ones that were like performed before like than a rodeo or something like Ooh, things that made okay. no sense <laughs> but like entertainments of that nature right so I was, I, <laughs> when you just said that my mind went i was like oh i've been to a rodeo and then i was like no i've just watched a lot of baskets <laughs> i feel like i've been to a rodeo <laughs> sam someday you and i are gonna go to a rodeo i'm gonna take listen, you. listen i'm down to, okay I'm game okay me you and ryan uh, we will go to a rodeo and Ryan will like point out all the like anatomical features of the bull for you oh. and yeah. So yeah, great. <laughs> in a car he points out um, license, license plates. plates. At a rodeo, rodeo he points out animal genitalia. Yes, yes, okay. exactly. All right, all right. I guess the license plate yeah. is sort of the genitalia of the car. It is definitely, and you, like, often have you seen those, like, people who hang oh, the, the balls. Yeah. yeah, by the license plate, you know, like, from the hitch, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, it's, cons- yeah, no, I see it now, it's consistent. <laughs> I mean, that's, I'm, I'm not trying, I'm sorry, I just realized I'm making the argument that your husband just goes around pointing out geni- metaphorical genitalia no, <laughs> wherever he, he goes. I think that's <laughs> like, right. tracks. Yeah, I, I would absolutely agree with that statement. <laughs> oh, man. So much fun. <laughs> yeah, no yeah. monster trucks here. No rodeos here. Just a lot of people no. like day drinking and brunching. I went to brunch today. I can't say I'm proud of it, but I did it for social reasons. Because <laughs> you know you, how I feel like, about brunch. Yeah, okay. Fair Such enough. Such a scam. But... I, so- I mean, I had oh, brunch ahead. today, but it's only because I woke up at 2 p.m. So, like, it was oh, breakfast. Was yeah. <laughs> and it was during the lunch hour. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's just a, a slow day for me. <laughs> uh, this is my question, though. So, I I had brunch. I was meeting up for brunch with a bunch of, like, coworkers from around the campus. Like, people outside of my team that I've gotten to know. Um, mm-hmm. They were all up in San Francisco. And so... During the week, we made plans. I was like, yeah, great. Let's do brunch. I told them we were recording because I'm always excited to talk about the podcast. And um, yeah, we sort of left it at like, okay, like sometime around two. Well, I got a text from them being like, we're going to meet there between 12 and 1. And A, I was like, okay, that's not what we planned, which is fine. But I was like, 12 to 1? And I was like, who makes plans like that? Like just like show up anytime within this hour and that's when we'll eat. And I was like, oh, okay. So I aimed for like 1230 and then I was dragging my feet. So I got there 1245 and I was like, yeah, like that makes sense. I shouldn't, I don't Mm -hmm. want to be the first one. I should not have to subject myself to waiting. Yeah. And then I still was the first one. Damn (laughs) it. And then I met up with, I know. And then I met up with uh, one other guy who got there and no one else showed up until like 
almost two. And so we're like, well, we're ordering food. And then everyone else got there and they're like ordering. They're like, oh, and then we're going to go to Dolores Park after this. And then we're thinking about going to hang out in the hate. And I was like, oh, like, I, <laughs> how was I to infer this was like an all day thing? I, and then I, I was think, like, well, yeah. I've got to go. Like, cause I, you know, I told you, I was like, oh, brunch plans got changed. Can we record after? And I was like, well, I got to go. Like, I got to, you know, I have other plans. And I think like everyone thought that was really strange that I didn't have all day. And uh. if I, but here's the thing. I think this is a West Coast thing because if this was my, the only instance in which I got weird reactions, I'd be like, no, it's them. Mm-hmm. But this is like the third time I've been here that people are like, oh, you have other plans you have to get to? And I'm starting to think that might just be like a weekend thing where people just... They just lay. Like, yeah. yeah. I, I, I have not done that in years. <laughs> I know. It's very confusing to me. Weird. I think, too, like, I don't... My weekends are starting to feel so precious that, like, I don't want to end up screwed over with nothing to do. And so I do mm-hmm. tend to walk the line of like over planning so that things are really like scheduled and i do find that sometimes like i'll go to hang out with someone and i'll be like okay we got 90 minutes (laughs) like (laughs) that's not necessarily fair but well but i mean i totally get that i think part of like and part of like being an academic right like this is a holdover from grad school is just like we are mega planners we are like yeah all right i've got one hour to read this article and then i've got to like send these emails and then i gotta grade some shit and yeah yeah i think that's it very very segmented very very but, segmented life lifestyle yeah but one of the reasons i was thinking that like i am glad i'm like that because it keeps me really productive at the mm-hmm. same time when i think about the friends like friendships i have that are close a lot of those friendships are born out of having that time to just spend a lot of sort of like empty bored time together like there is yeah, something to be said yeah. about like how bonds develop when you are just like hanging out with nothing to do Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. You I know. Absolutely... Or I think about like a, a friend of mine in college when we lived together. We were just so we were both like bored and poor. You know what I mean? And so there were <laughs> days where we would just like hang out around the apartment with nothing really to do, and we'd like kind of half watch TV and comment on it and talk and shoot the shit. And like that's a great way to develop bonds. Or like Chapel yeah. Hill was like a crucible for close friendships because we were all poor, <laughs> and you know you just had time to just sort of like hang out and bum around and. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. We're also no, also I... stressed all the time, so I think like sharing in that brought us all closer together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a weird it's a weird mix, I guess. I I feel like I don't get to do that as much anymore. Like the just mm-hmm. kind of like. So the only thing that might like be permissible with that this summer is that it's the World Cup, right? And so there are definitely oh, yeah. days where we're like. Well, there's one game at three and another at six, and we're just going to, like, start drinking at two. And, you know, like, kind of just chill for that whole day and watch the World Cup. But otherwise, like, uh, it's – I just – I have a crazy, crazy busy schedule this summer. And, I mean, like, I've just been, like, super boring this last week, for example, because – I was trying to, like, get these article revisions done and finish my syllabus for the fall and write this other article. Like, just all of this stuff. And it's just been, like, I don't have time for this, like, chill day. Or even, like, uh, today when we went to lunch, it was not a chill lunch. It was a let's eat and then let's get out our laptops and work lunch kind of thing. Well, the other thing, too, is then when you have that weird, like, aberrant open day, it's really hard to, like, 
switch gears into that. Just yes, to, to just chill. Yeah, I can't really. It's like it's hard for me to be like this book. I am reading for fun. You know, <laughs> like Dude, like I mean, I, it's hard for me this. to like look at a text and be like, oh, I'm just enjoying this. You know. Yeah, um, I mean, it really did take me looking back like a, almost a solid year after leaving grad school before I could just enjoyably read a novel again because. Mm-hmm. I found myself thinking first, like I was still holding like a pencil in my hand every time I read and marking things up. And then I was like, well, why? And then I thought, (laughs) well, but if I'm not, if I'm not reading this to eventually write something about it, then why am I reading this? Like, I couldn't remember what it was like to just do something as leisure. Yeah, exactly. What's the the cultural capital that? (laughs) (laughs) How am I furthering my brand or career? Yeah. Uh, it's so true, but I am going to um, Chicago and then Milwaukee this week, and I'm giving two talks, which is like added on to the stress. But I have determined that in between talks and in between like participating at this conference, I am going to chill. Like I am oh, good. gonna say like because normally I go on a trip and I'm like, all right, got conference time. That's twelve hours of my day, and then I'm gonna spend like three or four hours a night with all of this like energy to just like write something or to to read something right and I usually do that I usually like kind of kill myself at these conferences um I'm just not I'm not gonna do that like in Chicago um some friends of mine and I are gonna go to a like baseball game because it's dollar hot dog night and I'm on the keto diet so I can eat like as many fucking hot dogs as I want to Yeah, I'm no bun. For a dollar hot dog. No bun. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be a little weird. I'm just Wait, are eating. you just gonna bring your own like head of lettuce and use be one of those people no, who uses lettuce gonna, as a bun? I'm just gonna fist a fist a wiener. <laughs> 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 I'm totally I'm totally just gonna like have a plain hot dog. Like Wait, oh uh, you should still find a way to get some ketchup and mustard. I don't want you to lose no, confidence no, no, in the I, process. I I don't. I don't do condiments. You oh, know this. oh my God! I'm so sorry. Yeah. How did I, forget? I I just eat a plain old wiener. So what if they had? What if they had dollar chili dogs? Ah, uh, see, so chili usually. So I've like become like hyper aware of what I'm putting into my body. It's it's yeah. Really there could annoying. be gluten in there. There could be there, like often there's sugar in chili too. So oh, and black yeah. beans do have carbs. Yeah, yeah. I love so, black beans, man. I couldn't I give know. them up. Yeah, I mean, I can have I can have a limited amount of carbs each day, so it's okay. It's been okay, um, but it has been weird. Like, there's this really like just gorgeous, gorgeous uh, new burger place in Chapel Hill that just opened up, and so we went yesterday. And you know, like they have like these crazy, like creative, beautiful burgers, and we're like, we'll have that but with no bread, <laughs> like no bun. And do you and do like, cheat days? Okay. No, I don't do cheat days. Okay. Yeah. Can because I ask, like, are you feeling a difference? Yeah. I, like, well, yes. Um, so I've lost like 11 pounds. Ryan, Damn. because he's a dude, this is so unfair. Dudes lose weight quicker than women. It's like, it's mm-hmm. really fucking unfair. So he's lost like 15 or something like that. And so, oh, man. yeah, like we've, we've been doing it. We've been going to the gym every day um, and doing that thing. Yeah. Strength training. I like know what that is now. It's crazy. Yes. So fun. Yeah. yeah. Strength training is also like, that's what really got me through so much of grad school because you go a, like 
you are not running into people from school because no one in our department worked out. <laughs> so that was nice. But yeah, it was um, like a separate time. Yeah. Yeah. But you could set goals that you could then meet within a month. You know, it was the opposite of grad school where all the work you're doing is going to pan out in like six years and you're gambling right. on like what happens years from now. So it's so nice to be like, yeah. okay, I'm going to set a goal to go like, you know, 20 pounds heavier and then you will in like a month yeah. or so. And then you're like, oh, well, goal achieved. That's it's it. so therapeutic yeah. yeah um yeah so it's it's been kind of i don't know like um it's a different chapter because like each time we go out we're like okay what are we about to put into our bodies whereas like you know 20 year old me or let's be real katie a month ago like gave <laughs> shits about like oh yeah doritos and then frozen pizza oh, yeah let's do it so mm. Uh, I know. I do miss those days myself. I, I mean, I will probably still have a few of those days you eventually. Should. But I mean, because it's about creating like a life habit, not like just like yeah, one hundred percent every day. So you need to exactly. give yourself like the opportunity to break it every once in a while. Yeah, exactly. And like I don't know, it's just been kind of fun to do research into like to it's been it's forced me to be more creative. Like I have a sweet tooth. I can't have sweets on this diet. But I can have, like, a gluten-free tiny slice of cheesecake. So, Ooh. you know, like, there's there's ways that I'm making it work. And, yeah, it's, so that's the thing. So that and just work, like, it's either working out or working. That's all my life is right now. It's so boring. Um, you know, I mean, I guess I'm if there's like, any theme developing right now, it's that we have sadomasochistic relationships with our careers. Ah. Who knew? <laughs> Wait, I knew that. I've always known that. Yeah, no, always no. We've been a workaholic. always known that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know. I'm always like, I feel most myself when I'm killing myself for a job. <laughs> Why well, is I that? Mean, yeah. Like, if, I, if I'm not working or if I take, like, too long of a vacation, I'm just like, what's the <laughs> point of my life? Like, I need to go back and do something. Exactly. Like I don't. I don't have any value. I'm not creating anything or doing any good in this world right now. Even if I'm this. Not, like, like we're like. Well, we could just like hang out or talk on the phone or just read books for fun. But like, nope. We're gonna turn no. this into a scheduled podcast. <laughs> exactly. Well, because <laughs> like because. Well, not just because. Uh, instead, because I am such a like super planner, and you know, mm -hmm. like I have to have these like set times and so this is like my set fun time you know like making it a podcast if you were like <laughs> no offense sam like please don't be offended but if you were like hey let's just like make it a, a habit to like talk on the phone just as friends oh, i would once a i would week, always I would, like miss your call because i do this with yeah. like seven other people too because i'm like i totally flake I really yeah i just sit and talk on the phone right now yeah, no, this is like, so me, when I was still on the East Coast, one of my best friends moved out to California and we'd constantly do this to each other. We're like, we'd be like, okay, let's talk Thursday night. And then one of us would call the other and not pick up. And then like the other would call the other and not pick up. And it would be like days before we we're finally like, okay, we're both in a mental space where we're willing to talk on a phone. <laughs> yeah. It is a rare mental space for me, honestly. Yeah. It is, it is, it's hard for me to get to that space. The only Absolutely. person that I'm into that space with immediately is my mom, you know, like Aww. just because like, I, you know, because it's a 30 year relationship, I guess I'm like, all right, like this is the person that, you know, she's going to tell me something crazy and yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we'll go from there. So 
I think too, <sighs> like phone calls are so like momentous now because mm-hmm. like to decide to call someone, like you have to plan it and schedule it because otherwise you just text. You know, because well, I think like, about this, as a kid, like when you watched, like I would see my mom at home, like you'd call someone and talk for like two minutes or five minutes or seven minutes and then you'd be done. But like if I'm having a phone call, like it's going to be like a 45 minute or hour long phone call. Yeah. Well, and I was just thinking of like last week when we were about to record and you were like, okay, ready. And then I called you and you're like, I'm not ready. <laughs> <laughs> and like I felt so weird and so this week like we're like t- we're pre we're preparing to like talk but I am texting you and I'm like are you ready and you're like are you ready and I'm like yes I'm ready and then you're like great and I was like should I call you like you know it's just like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's a procedure to it that's what I'm trying to say is there's this like <laughs> there's this kind of like performance around phone calls now that like our parents don't know that like they didn't have that right no um I remember when I had like a landline and you know the yeah. thing to do on a Thursday night was to like lay in your bed and get on your landline and just like talk to your friend and then like maybe do three-way calling because that started to be a thing and oh yeah yeah, yeah right yeah none of that anymore would never like, like just do you remember call the somebody. joys of picking up your phone and hearing like your neighbor talking or like uh no no what was it what? oh we had walkie talkies as kids that was it oh that is I'm a sorry. different that, technology yeah what i'm talking about <laughs> happened in like the 40s when the switchboard operator like meth fucked something up but no no when we had like walkie talkies as kids and we would we i remember we got these that were like a newer cooler walkie talkie where it's like a headset and if you walked oh. around you were constantly picking up like neighbors phone calls <laughs> What? And it was that's the crazy. best. I mean, it's it's only permissible I mean, because we were like ten. Creepy. But we would I mean, walk around the neighborhood the just Judy listening Bloom to people. Character <laughs> who was like Wait. spying on people? Okay, it is different to don binoculars and try to catch people changing their clothes. <laughs> I just thought it was really. F- we got like power high off of like walking around the neighborhood trying to catch people's fo- intercept phone calls, oh. and it was always <laughs> stupid stuff. And we always ended up. We only did it for, like, I think maybe a week. And after, like, the second day, we would just make a beeline to the same neighbor's house because they would just curse the entire time they were talking. And we thought it was the funniest thing. (laughs) And then we'd see them outside. I know. And the neighbor would be like, oh, hello, darling. You know, like, it would be, like, so, like, proper. And and she'd get on that phone. Did you ever have, like... She, like she got on that phone she's like those fucking kids are out there <laughs> no that no one was funny. ever talking about me <laughs> despite yeah all my suspicions all my life <laughs> oh man someone somewhere is talking about you right now i promise i bet they are i promise you <laughs> oh technology that's cool uh, technology yeah. We've yeah. been talking a lot about tech lately, and I, I feel like I must take some responsibility for it now that I'm working in tech, but I don't know. This seems to rise no. organically. I was just I editing mean, last week where we talked iPod. about like cloning ourselves. and. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying to become a little bit more tech savvy just because like I need ways to be efficient. Oh, this is perfect, actually. So uh, <laughs> this drove Ryan insane this past week because... So I had this like article that in my world, sometimes you send out an article and the journal is like, this is great, but we want you to make these changes and it's called a right. revise and resubmit. Uh, so anyway, so I got a revise and resubmit 
and I only have two months to do it, and that's like not a lot of time, and it needs to be perfect. Like I really want to get this article accepted. It needs like the revisions need to be spot on, um, and what they wanted me to do, moreover, was to send a like a cover letter explaining what changes I made. Um, one version where I had done track changes throughout the whole document. So I didn't just like, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't send a clean version and then a clean version. Right. And so when I got this email, I was like, this is too much. This is too much for my brain to like think about because I've got like this old version. Then I've got a track changes version. Then I've got a new version. And then I've got a letter describing the new versions. Like that's just like, it's a lot. Jeez. So what I decided, kind of like, well, how, why do you need each of these documents? <laughs> like, know. please explain to me how these fit into your larger workflow. I, don't, I have no idea. Except, like, I my theory is that, like, the track changes one is just to prove visually that, like, you did that all you, this yeah. work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, like, look, I changed these words. Uh, so, anyways, what I decided to do for these this particular one, I've never done this before, was take my original article and then take these big note cards and write out my revisions par like eight, like paragraph per note card if that makes sense to just like hand write it out right which is so, like really oh my god that was how we would learn to write research papers in like junior high yeah and so I, I returned to this method i know it sounds so stupid no. because it's laborious and it's like anti-technology right like you could just especially if there was a sentence that i just decided not to change right then i'm just like rewriting that out from a printed version that seems insane but it really did help me kind of break the the like initial stress of you know, like, oh, my God, I don't know how to, like, even quantify the amount of work this is going to take. No, like, I was like, okay, I'm going to lunch, like, you know, by myself or something, and I'm going to eat a salad and do a note card instead of, like, this, like, more nebulous, like, kind of giant revision thing, right? Um, and it, like, infuriated Ryan because he was like, that's the most inefficient <laughs> thing I've ever seen. What if you lose the note cards? What if the note cards get out of order? And I was like, no, look, I've got a number. A strong system. breeze comes through yeah. the window. <laughs> You're like, no! Um, I was like, look, this one's labeled number one because it's paragraph oh, one. Damn. And he was like, Planned oh ahead. my god. He's like, I can't handle how inefficient this is. And we should be clear, but too, like, the articles you are writing are not, like, they're not newspaper or like periodical articles that are a few pages long. No. Like you're writing 35, 40 page articles. Right, right. So that's this many, was, many paragraphs. Yeah. This one was a like, I think of a 32 note carder. I think okay. is what I, yeah. So anyways, um, yeah, it just like, it really pissed him off. And so then I had finished all these note cards and he's like, so what do you do now? And I was like, then I, I, I type up the note cards. <laughs> So I, I guess too, I like, went so anti-technology. Drafting, though, is really, like, just giving yourself different opportunities to, like, mentally work things out. So, like, yeah. taking extra I, time just means you have more time to, like, mentally think everything through and get it right. Right. And I, I did things like, like, you know, like, spread out the note cards and visualize, mm. like, you know, I looked at, like, oh, I just noticed, like, through this process <laughs> that I have, like, three paragraphs that start with the same kind of wording or something. Oh, yeah, you know, that's like, great. Things like that. And it, like, made me, like, really conscious of word choice and of, you know, the order of things, etc. Anyways, you, that's like, all the same. And you pin them all to your one wall, and then you start connecting ideas with, like, red yeah, string. Yeah, like red string, yes. And then hanging up pictures of authors you were referring to. Yeah. And writing, I found a like, newspaper big, clipping. Just in big, bold words, like, where, or why, or who, <laughs> and 
And then you put newspaper exactly. up on your windows, and then you told people they weren't allowed to come over. And I mean, I already do that. That's yeah. that was already. <laughs> I yeah, that's already been settled. <laughs> oh, speaking of which, have I told you about? Okay, so like just to conclude that like really long to conclude. <laughs> In conclusion, I, in conclusion, <laughs> or I would re, I would rewrite it as to summarize, uh, or ultimately, ultimately, comma, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes going anti technology is okay. Like just break up your cycle sometimes. Like if you if you don't have accessibility constraints, you know, like if you're able to, just like push against that mold somehow or sometimes. Oh, That's cool. Dude, I I use a notebook at work and I carry it around everywhere and I take yeah. all my notes in my notebook and I have a whole like symbol system where it's like a star is something that I need to investigate and a checkbox is something I need to do and a bullet point something else, you know, and it's yeah. great. And then I have yeah. all this and I can, at the end of the day, review all my notes because they're in one place and I can decide like what needs to be done that day, what I can push to tomorrow. Love it. That's beautiful. That is so I want to see a computer beat that. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, oh, and you know, like, before I just started saying to conclude and to summarize, I was going to say mm-hmm. something else, and I, I oh. totally forgot it. Do you know what I was going to say? Oh, no. I don't what? know. I, d- I don't know. I don't. Yeah. I lost I thought we were going shit. where you wanted to go because you said Ryan got upset, and that's how we got to this. Yeah. I mean, he's always upset. <laughs> oh, here it is. I remember the connection. Um, so speaking of serial killers, I'm going to speak in a lower voice because I think he's outside of my window right now. A serial um, so killer? You, yeah. Or Ryan? So I'm told, no. Uh, well, I don't know if Ryan is a serial killer. I don't think so. But Ryan but is the is, one outside your window. No, he is also not the one outside my window. Uh, so there's this guy. Um, oh, okay. Another he lives person next altogether. door. I don't know why I'm whispering. You have headphones on. I know. I'm whispering. He's not that <laughs> close. Like, I say outside my window. He's I'm like picturing him feet. standing below your window. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, okay, he's pretty far away. But I've told you about Mr. Laundry, right? The the serial killer. Mr. Right? Laundry? Yeah, this guy. No. So, you know, I live in an RV park. Everyone's here is just in a, you know, like travel trailer. Um, But some of us are what we call like um the like i think that there's a word for it like the live the lifers the livers or something like that like there's a term for people Mm -hmm. who aren't just traveling with their trailer they're not here for a weekend but we live in them right so mr laundry is one of those as are we um and he is uh constantly he lives alone but he constantly is bringing out giant bags like giant canvas bags out of his trailer. And it just seems like way too much like supposed laundry for one person. It just like it seems like way he does there's no, no way he needs There is not a single sitcom that has not had this episode where someone suspects <laughs> their neighbor is a killer. I know. I'm like living that dream. And anyways, so this weekend oh and also let me tell you about the shovel incident. So um, it snowed here kind of bad um, many months ago, and Ryan was outside, (laughs) and I was sitting out here, I was sitting inside looking out the window, and I see Mr. Laundry, and he's trying to, like, clear his driveway, and so he goes over to another neighbor, and he asks to borrow their shovel, Mm -hmm. and he comes, he gets the shovel, he comes back, and he's, like, not having any success getting the ice off, or the snow off of his driveway, like, it's just, like, it's a shovel that is not working for him, 
and no one is looking at him, but I can see him through the window, and he takes the neighbor's shovel and just, like, chunks that shit. He just, like, angrily throws it, <laughs> like, across the driveway. And I'm like, motherfucker, like, this serial like, that killer is not has, yours. Like, you will treat unbounded, that with <laughs> unbounded anger against a neighbor's shovel. And then I see him walk over to Ryan who is standing near our shovel and I like don't hear them, but it's clear that Mr. Laundry is like, can I borrow your shovel? And I'm like, no, I know how he treats them. So anyways, I, yeah, if I ever die, I'm pretty sure it was Mr. Laundry. I don't know his real name. Right. Uh, anyways, on I'm glad even Saturday, on Saturday, just to trick me out, just to, cause I think he knows that I'm onto him. I went to the laundry mat to do my laundry, and guess who I saw there? <sighs> was it Mr. Laundry? It was Mr. Laundry <laughs> doing laundry. What the shit is that shit, right? Wait, Am so I you right? called him, yeah. But was yeah. it in the same bag? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> End of story. That's all I've got so far. Okay. But all right. The case the continues, saga will though. Continue. It's not yeah. closed. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so in a sense, you are the FBI agent to Mr. Laundry's Danny DeVito. Yeah. Yeah. Or the speedboat salesman, as they're, they're yeah. kind of <laughs> believed to be. Yeah. So... Oh, and I should say I am wearing my Dana DeVito shirt in honor ah, of this podcast yes. recording. And earlier when I went out for lunch, um, I was wearing like a, a sweater over it, but it was like one that had kind of an open collar. So it was funny because like all that was showing was just like this giant eyeball sticking out from the middle of my <laughs> chest. <laughs> Just like staring and, and what, you down. And what an intense eyeball, too. <laughs> yes. Okay, so we are talking about... Dun, 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 Matilda. Matilda. Yeah. Oh, um, Katie, did we save the best for last? We did. We totally did, right? So I should say, I mean, I think I said this on the last podcast. I had never read the book. I'd never seen the movie. Mm -hmm. um, both were... Double treat. ...in my home growing up because... It was believed that Matilda was performing witchcraft. That's a story for another time. Moving on. Yeah, um, I believe that. It's yeah. definitely witchcraft. Yeah, definitely some <laughs> demonic shit going on. I don't care. No, it's just psychic powers. Yeah. Um, either, even if she was. Okay, I, we can't go down that rabbit hole today. But, <laughs> but damn if I did not love this book. And not even right? like, oh, this is a really sweet kid's book. Like, I was charmed. I, I found it wonderful to read as an adult it's genuinely funny too like there are scenarios where you're like okay like even if you don't watch the movie you're like i can imagine this happening in a really hilarious way right yeah. like the the whole newt episode is probably the best or one of the best right mm -hmm. the the newt in her water jug it's so good um yeah and you know what too like we talked about this with meg in a wrinkle in time but i this is really clarifying for me that I really respond to angry characters. <laughs> I don't know that we have enough angry characters in literature. People who are really just like frustrated to the point of just like righteous indignation. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. more and more that like, yeah, righteous anger might be like my love language. I'm not sure. <laughs> but like, <laughs> it's so compelling to me and I respond so much to it. Yeah. That I don't know. Like I knew this was a, 
exaggerated story and that like this was not meant to be like realistic to some sense to some degree but i did find her powerlessness like so infuriating and i did find like the injustice of of adults being able to wield power like that so infuriating yeah and well and like it was actually like hard to read sometimes this is an interesting point because um when i was reading it i was like where like wait does this version could this version just not include her magical powers because like what i remember so distinctly from the movie are the you know are her abilities to move things around and I, but i was like it does it doesn't show up in the book right. until quite later in the narrative i mean it's like two-thirds if not later that she suddenly yeah. acquires this power it's like the tail end yeah, and so, like, I was like, oh, my God, like, did they radically add this element to the movie <laughs> where, you know, like, in the book, like, she doesn't even need these powers. Like, she's, I mean, she's brilliant. She's still a genius, but she doesn't have, like, the kind of highly, highly technical way that um, Dahl, like, describes it. Did you notice this? This was insane. So. You mean, like, the the, the energy like pushing through yeah, her eyeballs. Yeah. yeah. So I, um, oh shit. I, I need to find it. But like, oh, shit. I just kind of was like amazed that this was in a, like a children's novel because it just appears so strikingly. She has this like heat that almost like explodes through her eyeballs. And yeah. yet it's like, she's going into like some sort of ecstasy and, it is it is interesting to say the least. So I will find this for us though, because I I thought I had I'd marked it, but it was, yeah, crazy, crazy stuff. <laughs> um, should we jump right into it? I mean, we've already talked about Roald Dahl, so I figured like we didn't need to, um, talk about him again. Right, and I just found the passage. So oh, perfect. Like, I we could use this as maybe the the jumping off point. So Matilda, very young girl, very very brilliant, um, and she can read at the age of three or four. She teaches herself how to read. She's reading. Um, do you notice how obsessed Doll is with Dickens? By the way, like this is like yeah. that's his go to. It was also which kind of like I realized he wrote this in the early eighties before like <laughs> we had more of a widespread appreciation for like more authors than just those in the canon. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, yeah. you know, there's more than like Hemingway more, and Dickens. Right. There there are more fish in the sea. But mm-hmm. um yeah, so but she's so she's incredible. But eventually because of all the, you know, kind of struggles that she faces with her horrible, horrible family, the horrible school that she's going to, etc., she kind of activates or kind of realizes these powers to move things with her eyes. Um, so here's how, and this is, I mean, I'm not kidding you. The book is 230 pages. This shows up on page 160. So it's, yeah. it's a long time coming before we, and I think that's brilliant, actually, but it's a long time coming before we get a sense that she has these powers. Uh, so here it is. Uh, And now, quite slowly, there began to creep over Matilda a most extraordinary and peculiar feeling. The feeling was mostly in the eyes. A kind of electricity seemed to be gathering inside them. A sense of power was brewing in those eyes of hers. A feeling of great strength was settling itself deep inside her eyes. But there was also another feeling, which could be something else altogether, and which she could not understand. It was like flashes of lightning. 
little waves of lightning began or little waves of lightning seemed to be flashing out of her eyes her eyeballs were beginning to get hot as though vast energy was building up in somewhere inside of them it was an amazing sensation she kept her eyes steadily on the steadily on the glass and now the power was concentrating itself in one small part of each eye and growing stronger and stronger and it felt as though millions of tiny invisible arms with hands on them were shooting out of her eyes towards the glass she was staring at. So sorry, I started to speed up at the end because I was like, oh my God, I've been reading forever. No. <laughs> <laughs> but you get the point, right? There's, it's, just an, it's highly technical at this, in this children's novel to have this imagined power that's, mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah. I mean, so maybe we can back up and like work our way up to that because I feel like yeah. I have a million talking points for this book. Like, there's a ton to to sort of parse out. And so I think the opening is a really cool framing device where we're we open with this thing that we can all this phenomena we can all agree on, in which uh, and that is like the parent who thinks that their very average child is a genius. Right, where everyone can tell this is a average or sub-average child, but the parent, blinded by love, thinks their children is like preternaturally gifted. Um, My mama thinks I'm that. the best. Oh, that yeah. is damn straight. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so then Doll, like after running through some of these scenarios, flips the script and says, "But what about the case where you have the aberrant parent who?" Um, actually thinks the worst of their kids or doesn't like their kid very much. And what if mm-hmm. their kid actually was the preternaturally gifted one? That's the case right. we're working with in this story of Matilda, who is, as a like a toddler, right, is like learning and her brain is expanding at this sort of accelerated rate, even as she's being abandoned by her parents. So her older brother goes to school, dad goes to work, mom goes to bingo, and she's alone all day and just pl- plays in front of the television. So she finally you know, been asking to go to school. Her parents won't enroll her in school. So she goes to the library. She like walks across town and then goes there mm-hmm. every day and has a sort of semi-ally in the librarian who I really thought was going to come back in some way. Yeah, I thought um, she was going to be doesn't... a bigger player too. But, yeah. but I mean, she's the initial helper figure, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah, in, this, right. in this Bill Dung's room. In uh, the, the Joseph bleh. Campbell way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um so yeah, in this like hero's narrative, she is the like initial like signpost basically. You're like, you know what you yeah. should do is check out books. That's my old lady voice. You know what you should you do. You know what you should do. Um, little youngin. So and so yeah, Matilda so she reads all the home. children's books and then has moved on to like an actual like grown up literary fiction. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So and so she's she's acquiring of like vastly more expansive um education then you know like even school is going to provide her but that like her parents like they're idiots right they're crooks her father is a used car salesman um and her mom they talk about like the mom being like hyper kind of fake in terms of you know like Mm -hmm. platinum blonde hair dye and like heavy makeup and stuff like that right so not like not the best atmosphere for this poor you know, um, unique little sweetheart child, Matilda. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to think about, I don't know, where to start with this? (laughs) Because it's an exaggerated family, right? But at the same time, like the kernel or the seed that's being exaggerated is just a sort of like kind of middle class mediocrity slash anti-intellectualism, right? It's the same sort of, it's the same demo that something like the Big Bang Theory is 
um, targeting or appealing to, right? Um, just people who want to kind of watch TV and not use their brains that much and believe the people who use their brains are like losers um, who aren't right. going to succeed in life. Yeah, it's the, you want like this, it's the everybody loves Raymond like, aha, yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. You want the yeah, like the, the brief, canned laugh track. <laughs> yeah, you want the brief like, aha, yeah, yeah. But then like, that's it. Like you, you, you're not ever, at least I hope you're not going to cry or, you know, to like feel like real, real emotions during an episode of Everybody Loves Raymond. And that's what this family buys into. And they don't, you're right, like they don't, it's not even just intellectual, um, but also emotional, right? They, they're highly materialistic to the mm-hmm. point where like there's, there's no room for expressing any sort of love or, you know, like there's, this child is not, but like she's not being touched, she's not being hugged. Um, she's not, you know, like, and it was, we know from like studies that like you need socialization, you need nurturing. Um, but even the the materialism is so like middle brow too, because they have so much like kitsch and so much mm-hmm. just like stuff. Like they're purchasers of like mass products, right? Of like their hair care stuff, right? It's like all, it's you know, it, it, there's nothing sort of unique or particularly interesting about what they're getting. They're just purchasing mm-hmm. like clutter. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, better TV set, something like that. That's really, yeah. that's it. And I think what's so interesting, and maybe one of the reasons, I mean, I want to talk later about, like, the irony of this being a movie, and you'll see where I'm going with this, I think, is that it, it's perfect. It's a perfect narrative vehicle as a book because the kids who are going to be reading this book, like, children who are readers and driven enough to be, like, reading even, like, children's novels are going to relate to Matilda, right? Because yeah, most kids wants to just want to watch TV, you know, and most kids don't read books for fun, you know? And so, yeah, um, no, I, it every, makes sense. I, that's certainly why, you know, I thought... Oh, I'm I'm like Matilda as a as a young Same. child, right? Reading this, where you're like, <laughs> I could relate to Matilda. <laughs> I I feel you. Like there's there's a lot of, and I mean, this is it's so what? Uh, how do I how do I describe this? Well, I would say like um, I don't. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, I, yeah. I I've lost it. Go ahead. <laughs> Which is like, yeah, I cannot. I did not as a five year old feel this. Like I was not reading Melville, you know, like before I started elementary school. But I mean, a lot of the frustration that she goes through in her household is certainly frustration I could feel like junior high and high school, right? About like mm-hmm. understanding that my own interests did not, <laughs> like intellectual interests, really, truly, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. why I ended up in a PhD program, like did not match or correspond really in any discernible way to like the sort of broader interests of like my family or even like people in high school and peers and stuff. And that sort of frustration feels like super relatable in that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's, I think like for me, because when I was growing up, at least I could, um, I, you know, like the technical term for it is code switch and yeah, yeah. You know, I like could like just hang with whoever. Um, but then like it really kind of became more, um, just like pain, I became more painfully aware of it in college. Right. And then I would like, you know, during college when I started like really getting interested in like different kind of academic subjects and then finding that 
my friend group for talking about those subjects was growing smaller and smaller. Not that like my friends weren't, you know, intelligent, but just that they had different interests or that it just like didn't, it didn't ever neatly map, you know what I mean? Until grad school. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, I think like for a lot of kids who do read Matilda is just like the perfect poster child. She's, um, like we've all felt, kind of isolated and it's it's so sad that like her one desire is to go to school <laughs> you know like most kids don't want to do that like that's not their dream but yeah, right. for Matilda it's that she really she's really drawn to um she's she's getting all the education she needs from books but it's she's missing that key component I think that's what Dahl is kind of capitalizing on is she's she is missing the socialization part right like there's no point in being a genius if you're so isolated right Um, you can't share (laughs) life with anyone I, I love that he like goes out of his way to 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 make this clear that like even though Matilda is so gifted she like she is able to code switch and she can hang with um her classmates who are you know, like way far behind her, right? So that, like, she is yeah, friends with Lavender. I really Lavender. didn't know she where that has, was going to go. She has like if it was going like, to turn out that bonds. she was like, if she was going to turn out that she was like rejected by her classmates or they didn't like her, I really wasn't sure. Yeah, and I love that. Yeah. That's a great point. Um, though honestly, I don't think that's how it would work in the real world. I no. don't think <laughs> that if there was a kid in your class and they're like, well, they're really smart, they're way smarter than everyone else, so they're going to sit by themselves and read during class. I don't think that kid then would be everyone's friend. Like, just honestly, just like that's because kids are really mean. Mm-hmm. Um, I doubt well, I many think, people would be nice. Yeah. And I wonder if part of it is like because there's a Mrs. Trunchbull, right? You have this common enemy that brings everyone together. Right. Dun, dun, dun. Well, we right, should say, so, too, I'm jumping ahead, I guess. But oh, um, okay. the sort of start of the novel and the start of um, Matilda sort of deciding to to sort of fight back at, at you know, a fight back. Um, with um, adults who mm-hmm. um, she feels are really like unjust or deserving of some sort of punishment that even though she's the child, she's going to punish certain adults is getting her father back because she finds that her father is a bully and he's a crook. Um, so he runs a used car dealership where I love this. this it was kind of delightful where he is <laughs> devised this way to run down the the. Um, what is that called? The the mileage yes. counter? Yeah, yeah. The odometer. I have not, odometer. I'm in a car yeah. so long. <laughs> the <laughs> odometer um, in cars to make them look like they're sort of brand new cars. And that's to like mm-hmm. <laughs> attach the odometer to um, a power drill and run it backwards in the opposite direction to mimic like what it'd be like to drive a car in reverse. Yeah, that's not how like odometers work, but (laughs) it is like very like delightful. I know he's like a, a, you know, a villain type in this novel, but I can't help but be impressed by Mr. Wormwood's kind of like his own criminal creativity, right? It's intrepid. Yeah. Yeah. There's some, at least some some cleverness about him that's that's funny i don't know so um yeah so he does that he puts sawdust in um in the motors that are like run smoother but only for about 100 miles and he's yeah he's super smart and then Um, the, the really like unforgettable thing he does is that he gets so angry seeing matilda sitting and reading while they're all watching tv that he goes up grabs her book and rips it up he like rips all the pages out of it wasn't that like one of your biggest fears as a child? Like oh for me God. as a child, uh, like 
now I don't, I actually don't care as much anymore. I still treat books with respect, but like, you know, as a child, I thought that a library book had to be pristine when you returned it. And that like, if you accidentally bent a page or if you accidentally, you know, like tore a tiny corner or something, they would know and they would come after you. And of course, like what he does is so horrific, right? He takes a book and rips it, rips all the pages out of the cover. And it's just like- I'm so glad you said that because (laughs) it was actually hard to watch. I like winced when he started to rip the pages out. Right. It's it's really like it scares me still. The concept scares me still. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, he destroys a library book and forces her because like, he wants her to watch TV. He wants to indoctrinate her basically and to become um, and the mother puts this so well late, later. Right. She says that Matilda needs to choose looks and not books. Mm-hmm. Matilda, as a woman, as a young girl, as a child, but as a girl, uh, you know, needs to prioritize the the physical aspects of her appearance and not uh, like cultivate any sort of personality or intellect whatsoever. Uh, so yeah. Well, didn't you but, wonder too about like her backstory a little bit? Maybe this is just me, but she the gets mom? this. Yeah. So basically, oh. this conversation comes out. So we'll jump ahead. Matilda basically like just visits upon her father a series of of pranks. First, she puts super glue in his hat so that it gets stuck to his head. Then Mm -hmm. uh, she puts peroxide in his hair um, tonic so that he accidentally dyes his hair gray. And then she does this last white. Yeah, it's yeah, it's like this dirty. It's like a really like dirty looking blondish gray or something they say in the book. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Also, I have to say in the movie, I don't know why I found it so funny, but the reaction shots of the people in the restaurant while while Rita Perlman's trying to get the hat off of Dan DeVito. So good. good. There's so many good reaction shots in that movie. They're all uniformly hilarious. Yeah, I but, mean, the, the the mini shots with, like, children reacting to Miss Trunchbull doing something insane, perfect. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but eventually, we she visits, you know, she does all these pranks. She punishes her father. She gets to go to school. When she goes to school, her first grade teacher, kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Honey, um, really sees that this girl is a genius. And so she goes to Matilda's home to tell the parents that she needs to be privately tutored because she's just yeah. too smart. And the mom says... It is better to be uh, to focus on looks over focusing on education or books. Because mm-hmm. look at me, I am married. I have a great house and all these possessions. And look at you, <laughs> you are like struggling to be like just a, a grade school teacher. I mean, she's but, not like totally wrong. <laughs> well, yeah, you I know. mean, some of that was crazy. We'll get to that. But yeah, I just kind of wonder, you wonder, I don't know, like the way that it was, is like the way that Dahl has her frame it, where it's about like sort of survival or something was just like strange to me. Well, you know, where it was, it was about like it was about like weathering a sort of economic game or something that like I played this game better because I'm in a more secure, comfortable place than you are. And that feels really different than like her father just be being a crook because he can make more money. Yeah, there's this moment in the book that they they should have actually put in the movie. I think it would have added a little bit more depth, but it it comes across as this like very brief humanizing moment where um so Mr. Wormwood has dyed his hair like we were just talking about and um he like runs upstairs and he demands that his wife call her hairdresser so that he can get an appointment to have it dyed back. Yeah. Uh, so as he's running away, uh, Matilda says 
He does some pretty silly things now and again, doesn't he, mummy? The mother, dialing the number on the phone, said, I'm afraid men are not always quite as clever as they think they are. You will learn that when you get a little bit older, my girl. It's a, the movie does not convey this, but there's a sense of like potential relationship there between the mother and daughter. Um, that of course is never going to happen because they're talking at cross purposes or they're, you know, they're, they're so, so different, but there is like, there's a kernel of affection, I guess, that I noticed in reading this that I was surprised to find. And maybe we could read Mrs. Wormwood as playing a type of game and knowing that in this kind of gendered economy, that there is a certain position that gets women ahead and right. She's trying to teach her daughter that in weird ways. It's it's totally misguided and stupid, but it's at least a motive. It's at least a acknowledge an acknowledgement that the Matilda is a human being. Yeah, agreed. And then we cool. brought up Mrs. Honey, and so of course the parents like reject Mrs. Honey. She leaves defeated. Blah blah. blah. Mrs. Honey. Okay, I want to pause briefly and talk about how <laughs> she is per- portrayed in the movie. In the movie, she's, like, a straight-up weirdo. Like, it is, like... <laughs> I didn't find her what? sympathetic. What? I found her to really? be, like... I don't know. Okay, Something about surprising. the performance. Okay, first, I spent, like, the whole first half of the movie trying to figure out if that was Sarah Paulson or not. It's not. But um, <laughs> she... Uh, Something about how she plays it, like, I found... I felt like maybe Mrs. Honey was, like mentally ill or something <laughs> like what? she really literal like in the book what's interesting is she is metaphorically like she calls matilda she's like you're sort of a grown-up child aren't you and you realize as reading the book that this is a book about grown-up children in one way or another right that her parents are children who just happen to be adults and mrs honey is like this stunted child because she was traumatized in her childhood even though she's an adult and the actress who plays her in the movie almost literalizes it so that like the way she acts is so childlike a lot of the time and she has this weird like jumpiness and it was just strange and by the end of the movie it was like oh we're both gonna be kids together and we're gonna like roll around and rollerblade inside (laughs) and i'm gonna wear like overalls and it was so weird to me like it's like mrs honey is still like a clear guardian figure and a parent figure in the book and in this it was confusing but at the same time, I mean, like, you have to be able to draw that distinct um, kind of contrast between her and Mrs. Trunchbull. Like, maybe she's just coming across this way a little too much because you really do have to push how kind she is. You have to, like, create that contrast as starkly as possible. So Miss Honey has to be, and keep in mind, Sam, she's, she is well, a Lest you forget. Lest you forget, she's a kindergarten teacher, right? Like she's she has. What are you trying to say about kindergarten teachers? They have to be mega approachable and kind. They have to be loving. They have to be forgiving, and you know, also like I don't know. I just i I think that you have to like kind of have this uh childlike teacher i guess right like like you were saying this childlike teacher who's jumpy and who's a little quirky because like think about their environment like think about how terrible it is to be at crunchum hall right mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> so, and Miss trunchbull know. and we've been talking Miss about this trunchbull do you want to sort of say who she is 
Yeah, she's a horrible bitch. Um, <laughs> she's, uh, so she's the headmistress at the school. She used to be an athlete um, in, like, shot put and what are, what else is the Javelin? hammer throw? Javelin oh, throw? Oh, maybe, yeah, something like that. Throwing the hammer, I think, is said a few times. I don't know mm-hmm. what that means. I think you take heavy balls and throw them. Yeah, That's yeah, what yeah. I understand. Um, okay, so she's – but she's um, – She's very, very assertive and mean and loud and um, just, like, incredibly cruel. One of the cruelest people you can imagine, right? She's also legit insane. I mean, we, we should talk about this, right? Like, it, yeah. gets, it gets farcical because, you know, there's a point where she says, I believe that the best school would be one with no children at all. Like, I hate children mm-hmm. so, so much. Um, and I physically abuse them constantly. <laughs> like, and my physical abuse, it's... we learned that she, she, it does make me laugh. She threw one kid out the window. Yes. And then <laughs> she grabs a little girl by her pigtails and swings her around like shot put style and launches her over the fence into like the, the yard beyond. Right. And then and she let, has. Let's not forget that she could. The little girl could have definitely, definitely been impaled. Yeah, this, exactly. That, that was suspenseful to watch, man. Yeah. Um, and what is the room called again that she locks kids in? The Chokey. The Chokey. The yeah. It is a room lined. It's only two feet wide, so you can't sit. You have to stand. And all of the walls um, are lined with like shards of glass, so you can't lean against mm-hmm. the wall. And then she's nailed nails through the door, so you can't lean against the door because there's nails. That mm-hmm. is insane yeah but there's this great conversation that um lavender not violet lavender and matilda have with an older student and the Mm -hmm. matilda's hearing all this and she's shocked and she says well don't your parents do anything about it and the older student says well who would believe that this is really happening and she goes that's why that's why she can get away with it is because she goes i think she says like she goes whole hog or something like that like she goes she goes all the way. And so it's so unbelievable that no one would possibly think that's really happening. And what's so Which is why we have Trump that. as president. <laughs> right. right? Like, that's, that is the strategy. Like, there's no, like, we're like, there's no way we're in such disbelief. Like, he's too ridiculous. He can't even be real. Like, this can't be possible. Yeah, or like, he's and not he really going to try to, like build a wall or something and blah blah right. blah yeah and you're he right does the, sh- the shit right like it's it's it pushes the envelope and that's like the most brilliant not the most brilliant i'm not saying this is like <sighs> deliberate but it is convincing right to create it creates do something in reality to such an extent that it becomes fiction yeah uh, like but that's uh, you could also say that roald dahl is a trunchbull figure right the way he is able to like write children's novels that are beloved, that parents complicitly read to their own children, um, mm-hmm. that involve like gruesome deaths and traumatic episodes and like child <laughs> abuse. Like the reason he can do that is because he goes whole hog. Like he does it to yeah. such an extent that it's unbelievable. And it's really interesting to think about the fact that he is, I don't know, like creating, he is creating a character out of his own. Uh, who who's a perfect like fictional mirror of him and his own tactics? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh! <laughs> so doll is Trunchbull. I don't. Well, I don't know. Oh. But <laughs> there's yeah, similarity I mean, though. There, there is similar. Yeah, yeah. Whoa, though. <laughs> <laughs> hold your hold your horses, Sam. Whoa, there. Let me think about that. Shit. 
I mean, as um, the author, he is ultimately the one visiting this violence too, right? Like, mm-hmm. think about, remember, you we were talking about um, James and the Giant Peach, how the peach, like, flattens the ants, and he can hear the crunch, James can hear the crunching of the ants' bones under right. him. Like, that's yeah. insane. It is, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, like, the, the cynic in me wants to be like, good for you, doll. Like, put a, put a like, you know, like, pepper your stories, though. With these moments of, of realism or, or real affect. Oh, I don't think there's, there's any, like, in, in his case, there's you no, know, like, moral valence to it. But it is just, like, moment. I think he operates by the same strategy. Well, and let's talk about this real quick, too. Which is, so he mentions that, so Miss Honey, this is, the, like, the big reveal. I'm just going to jump ahead real quick and then we can come back. But, so Miss Honey is the niece of Miss Trunchbull. And she had a father who supposedly killed himself. And, like, that is stark to appear in a right. children's novel. Not, not only the possibility of someone committing suicide, because, you know, like, parents are going to have to explain that to children. Yeah. But the yeah. fact that, like, what we ultimately are suspecting the whole time we hear this story and learn that Trunchbull was involved is that she killed him and then framed it as a suicide, which is right. insane. That is insanely dark. That is so fucking dark, right? And, yeah, so that is kind of what the... The like, pr- like the the narrative revolution or uh, not revolution resolution. <laughs> sorry, I don't know what my brain just We're gonna have a narrative did. revolution. Revolution <laughs> unite. Um, no. So the the resolution that kind of resides on this fact that like there's this horrible horrible past too, and like a very adult seeming past, right? Like this this seems adult like to to murder your your brother in law and make it seem like a suicide seems pretty adult like um so yeah doll is like he's tossing in some some heavy hitters here with Mm -hmm. dark dark issues dark backstories yeah Yeah. okay the other thing that's interesting too about this so we like the stuff with trunchbull is that trunchbull like the her so miss honey's father dies trunchbull is like his sister-in-law yeah, she's not even a sister. Yeah, not even by blood. And so then his will goes missing and we get like this kind of suspicious will, like revised will that says like that Miss Trunchbull is Miss Honey's like guardian and will look over everything or something like that and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And then when Miss Trunchbull raises Miss Honey, like she it's she definitely like abuses her because Miss Sunny's like I can't talk about it. I can't bring myself to talk about the things she did yeah. to me, which is crazy. Um, like she used again. to like hold her head underwater. Yeah, at, you know, and like just really horrible. Like, just yeah. Wouldn't let her shit. leave ever, and then. When she is able to take night classes at a teaching school, um, and she's only allowed to do it if she like still like kind of like Cinderella style does all the chores. Um, but when she finally goes to move out, she's Miss Trunchbull says, "Well, you owe me thousands and thousands of dollars for everything I spent raising you, and you don't get your father's home; it's mine, and you don't get any of his fortune; that's mine too." Um, so basically, she forces her to sign. Oh, really quick. She just forces her to sign this paper saying that, like, her paycheck will be paid directly to Miss Trunchbull, and Miss Trunchbull uh, will pay her one pound a, a week or a month? A week, I think. Yeah, but still, like, a pittance, right? Yeah. Hardly anything. And so she can barely... Quickly, oh, yeah, go ahead. Well, like, did you ever, as a child, like, get that threat? 
Like, you know, like my parents used to be like, when you turn 18, you owe us thousands of dollars. Oh. Yeah, they used to use that as a threat. And I'd be like, I can't afford that. <laughs> like, my mom would be like, museum ticket, $20. McDonald's Happy Meal, $3.99. <laughs> I still borrow money from them. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you always think in Lady so Bird, which is like, give me a number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. My parents used to do that shit. Anyway, so yeah, so Miss Honey, um, but she does get to rent this like this shack basically, uh, and I loved that in the movie. It's this delightful, really cute cottage. Oh in yeah. The book it is like a shithole. It has got nothing um, because like Miss Honey can barely survive. She literally describes, and they like em- she emphasizes this several times. That she eats a ton of food at lunch. I guess like they get yeah. like the teachers get free lunches at school, um, and then she like doesn't eat anything at night. You know, like she <laughs> like she has to like just starve herself basically. And she like sleeps um, on the floor of the cottage, yeah. and she has these two like wooden crates she uses for like seats or a table. Right. That is <laughs> the illustration not how it in appears. the book is like bleak. <laughs> I know it is so sad. Um, that is not how it appears. <laughs> yeah, all. no, you're right. There the is movie. something, it's just like a tiny home <laughs> before mm-hmm. it's time in the movie. <laughs> but what's okay, interesting so to me about back, this though. whole, oh. oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. What's interesting to me though, about like the, the sort of two plot lines, right? Like Matilda's plot line and Miss Honey's is that what we have like dovetailing are two very, very different, um, types of stories because the first story for Matilda, it feels very contemporary, right? It's about like middle-class living, which is like a post-war, like late 20th century story, right? And it's about like just under what it means to grow up and to be sort of like have more intellectual inclinations in this sort of middle-brow anti-intellectual home where your father like is not like, uh, doesn't have a lot of integrity, blah, blah, blah. And then also there's this sort of like um, like mafia or gang sort of <laughs> thread that comes up later. We find out he's kind of in with people. And then on the other hand, we have Miss Honey's, which is a, almost like a classic, a f- like fairy tale. Uh, well, not even fairy tale. Well, yeah, you're right. There is something it's a fairy about tale. It. No, like, it is. Jane, it's Jane like Austen, like too, about like lineage and about land, like land being passed down and like ones. Yeah. But I, think, know, I like, think the element of like fancy and of a, uh of like the like the e- there's it's 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 more kind of unidirectional i guess so like that's why i read it as a fairy tale because it's like evil stepmother you know um horrible childhood uh grows up she's still beautiful she's still delicate in fact she's described like princess like you know right. she's like so fragile etc and then you know like the the resolution through magical means i mean it is a, a magical child that's a right great but point. through magical means she uh, gets all back and then some, right? She gets her house back. She gets money. Um, there's like this undiscovered trove of money that her father has left her. Um, so sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but yeah, no, that's it reads great. Very, like very differently from Matilda's story, which and maybe that's why Matilda seems so um, approachable in part, and you know, like that's why you kind of feel like Miss Honey in the movie at least is is not as she's like not realistic is because she's operating an entirely different generic trajectory it's just um, weird so to Matilda... see like a grown woman like 
holding a doll and like yeah like going Lissy crazy doll. over like chocolates <laughs> i don't know well i feel i feel you on the the chocolate <laughs> thing but <laughs> i go fucking crazy on yeah actually the other day sorry this is such a digression but you know because we're on this new diet we cleaned out our car and in the side door Wait, that makes no because we're on a diet we cleaned out our car <laughs> yeah because you gotta get rid of all the food that's like haunting you <laughs> And okay. one of <laughs> those dots were not connected that what was littering your car was food. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing was a candy bar that had melted and we had just started the diet. So like the sugar like desire was like high up on the list. And so anyway, so there's like just a little bit of like candy like oozing out of the package. And Ryan was like looking away and I like quickly like just <laughs> like, <laughs> was like ah um, <laughs> So I, I totally get her chocolate thing. Uh, I'm not saying you can't what, like chocolate or be saying. delighted by chocolate, but to be like, I always wanted this piece of chocolate. Like, you can go out and purchase some chocolate in the no, meantime. No, she can't. No, Ugh. she can't. She can. Poor she doesn't have any money. I don't know. <laughs> beg, beg for chocolate. Yeah, go to the mall. Get a cho- <laughs> get a sample. Go on a Saturday. Yeah, go to Costco. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so. Um, yeah, we have these two different trajectories, but we should talk now about, um, so Matilda, of course, we've, we've talked about like how she has this mindset of like adults should be punished. She carries that through to her school and she realizes that, you know, she's, she can punish uh, Miss Trunchbull too, too, right? Like that's, yeah. she can get revenge. And Miss Trunchbull, like we get so many instances of her horrible torture. We've talked about, um, you know, her, like, throwing a child, et cetera. But we need to talk about Bruce Bogtrotter. That's what we really need abuse. to talk about. Yeah. Go for it. Uh, yeah, so Bruce Bogtrotter is a um, pudgy little boy, and he has stolen a piece of chocolate cake. Now, granted, that is stupid. Do not do that in the school because the headmistress is evil. But she devises, like, an incredibly unique form of torture, right, where it's there's there's too much of a good thing. Mm-hmm. And so she Cruel gets Bruce in front of the entire school, and they are forced to sit there. Just desserts. It's just out. desserts. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, oh, I like it. I'm clapping in case you can't hear. Thank but you. I'm clapping. So she brings out this massive chocolate cake, which sounds amazing. I know. I left that scene cake. being like, damn, I could really go for some chocolate cake right now. I know. It's hard to watch. So yeah, so she brings out this like huge ass platter, and what I love about this moment is that it, it's such a moment of community, right? There's this kid who's forced to be alone on stage and to trudge through this entire giant ass chocolate cake, but like the school like starts to rebel, right? Like the students are like, "You can do it," and he finishes it, right? So Miss Trunchbull is uh, you know foiled in her plans, right? Um, but that's all to say, like, this is just like another moment. This is another way to kind of point up her, uh, incredible, just like disdain for children and their like well-being in any way. Um, and so Matilda has witnessed all of these different scenes. She's witnessed, um, the cruelty of when Miss Trunchbull comes to her classroom and, you know, like pulls a kid by his ears and like permanently stretches them or holds a kid up by his scalp. Um, so, like, just constant iterations. In fact, like, 
maybe to us a little bit too much, right? Like, we get it. She's evil. But it's part of the, like, I guess, like, Matilda's, like, journey is witnessing these various moments. But what's interesting, and, though, is that the initial prank visited or punishment is not the is not thought up by Matilda. It's thought up by um, Lavender. Right. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's like, it's kind of funny that... Um, which I think is a good thing on Doll's part, saying that, like, maybe you're not Matilda. Maybe you're not a yeah. genius, but you can be a lavender. You can certainly be, you know, a little mischievous. And um, so lavender finds a newt. Um, oh, by like, I'm not kidding you, Sam. <laughs> Yesterday I was in a, a coffee shop and I was sitting by the window <laughs> And there was a lizard like out on a tree outside, and I just went a lizard <laughs> like, in the middle of this coffee shop because there is something alluring about lizards. Like when you see a lizard, you're like really excited. You're like, whoa, nature. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, like the patrons of this coffee shop are not pleased with me, no. but um, <laughs> Lavender has the same reaction. She's out in her like family's pond. And she sees a, a lizard. She finds a newt. She puts it in her pencil box. And at school the next day, she puts it in Mrs. Trunchbull's water jug. Okay, so I've been talking a lot. Do you want to take it from here? Totally. So this is really the scene you're talking about, or read from. So Miss Trunchbull pours out the gla- the newt into a glass, freaks out when she sees it, and then decides she's going to like wreak havoc on these kids to figure out who mm-hmm. did this. And Matilda is so full of just fury and anger that she actually wills the glass to fall over, and the newt sort of splashes out onto Miss Trunchbull's chest. And Miss Trunchbull freaks <laughs> out, and then everyone laughs. Um, also, <laughs> just a quick thing. Um, in the movie, it didn't really occur to me when I was reading the book, but when you watch the movie... None of the kids know that, like, Matilda is being the poltergeist at the end. Mm -hmm. And so if you were a child and you saw, like, Chalk drawing out a message threatening to kill Miss Trunchbull and then you saw her falling all over herself, I don't know that I would point and laugh. I think I would be scared out of my mind. (laughs) That's fine. Yeah. I I don't know. Uh, That is an incredibly, like frightening thing to witness yeah. <laughs> i i can't say that i have personal experience to to confirm well, same, how i would same. would react i've Damn actually it. never seen poltergeist either just fyi but i don't think i have either maybe i have I'll put I on the list <laughs> but all right <laughs> um the glass splashes miss trunchbull runs out and miss honey's like fuck it guys like this day is shot everyone go home and then so matilda stays after and is like miss honey i was the one who knocked the glass over let me show you lines up another glass knocks it over again yeah um and then this is when they go back to miss honey's place miss honey tells her the whole story about like why she lives in like this shitty cabin in the woods and then matilda says i want to help and all she asks is what did miss trunchbull call your father what did he call you and what's her name and she says magnus my first name's jenny trunchbull's first name is agatha it's like the next day or week or something miss trunchbull the following week because miss trunchbull once a week comes in and teaches the class Mm -hmm. she um levitates a piece of chalk and has it write out this message as though the ghost of magnus her step (laughs) her brother-in-law who he she like probably murdered and whose daughter's inheritance she's withholding it's the message says something like give the house to my daughter and give all the money to her um and then get out of town or i will like 
kill you I will, or I will get, get you. you. Yeah. I will get you like you got me. <laughs> yes. And she faints. She's so full of fear. And when she revives, she gets out of there and order is sort of restored. Right. Get the hell out of Dodge. Yeah. And um, in the movie, they do this like it's it's creepier in the movie. Like in the book, you're like, OK, like chalk writing on the board. But in the movie, like having ki- children collectively recite this death threat. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's yes. being, <laughs> like that's pretty creepy. You know, I mean, anytime where they're, kids like, are speaking in unison, it's a little unsettling. This is true. I mean, we we saw this with Wes Craven's uh, Freddy, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. One, two, Freddy's coming, it's coming for, for you. you. In case you forgot. <laughs> uh, uh, so, um, yeah. But what this means is now Miss Honey gets the money. She gets the house. Everything is good for her. Everything's delightful. Um, but meanwhile, things are not going so well for Matilda's family because... They have been caught. Like they are, they are in trouble, right? Like Mr. Wormwood is, um, the ruse is up, right? And so, yeah. So some gang members or criminals are coming after him because he's right. in too deep, and so they have to move to Spain just to get out of there. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so this, like, the last scene is basically them being like, "Let's go, Matilda," and she's like, "What well, can I just be Miss Honey's child?" And they're like, eh, okay, <laughs> you know, like, know, sure. It's, just, uh... um, it's sad. It is. It's kind of heartbreaking. The movie, I think, it, like draws it out a little bit. Like the mom does say, like, you were the only daughter I never ha- or I ever ever had, and I never understood you. You know, I know so which is, is such an interesting line. line, actually. Like I thought that was that's like, not in the book. Fascinating. Though. Yeah. yeah. It's not in the book, though, and the book, like, seems much more flippant about, like, you know, yeah. they're just later. Matilda's going to have the perfect life with the perfect pseudo-parent who's very childlike. Like you said, like, she is very um, kind of, you know, whimsical. She's whimsy. And so anyways, uh, the thing that happens in the book, though, that's really important for this narrative is that after all of this... Matilda no longer has her powers, right? Like, after, uh, like, the kind of elaborate revenge she stages um, against Miss Trunchbull, there's there's no need for it. And Miss Honey explains it by saying, well, now you're in, you know, a class with bigger kids. Like, you're being intellectually challenged. And so there's, you know, like, you're... Yeah, like, her brain power is being used up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, previously, you had no way to direct that excess intellectual energy, um, but now you do, and so there's no need for it. Um, in the movie, however, Matilda still has the ability to, like, whip out, you know, her powers just to, like, lazily bring um, Moby Dick to her bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right? I was like, ooh, not as on board with this ending. <laughs> yeah. Because also, um, like, it is, like, it is totally fine for her to decide to... Um, you know, restore order and 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 seek justice against like people who are objectively terrible. But what happens like when she decides that she's going to, you know, do the same thing to people where some people would say what they're doing is wrong and others wouldn't, you know? And she sort yeah. of just like becomes like a vigilante, you know? It it raises she's a like, lot of ethical she's questions. She's like Jodie Foster. Do you remember that one weird movie she was in? It was like in the early two thousands where. Her, like, fiancé is killed in Central Park, so she just starts going around, like, killing gang members. 
I have never seen. She becomes this like she becomes this like insane vigilante for justice, and that is like exactly the road Matilda's going down with her powers. (laughs) So I was kind of glad that she loses them. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the perfect way to end the novel. Um, You're like, okay, well, Matilda can be Matilda now, right? Like, she can be a child, which is what she's been missing out on. Um, And so, yeah, then we're left with, you know, beautiful relationship. Trench Bull is, like, gone forever. The family is gone forever. And And what's interesting about that, too, is that, you know, we were talking about how, you know, fairy tale or Jane Austen, like, this, the Miss Honey's plotline is one of of inheritance and family lineage, right? And it's all about mm-hmm. kinship. And what's interesting about that is that that ends with a sort of proper family lineage restored that Miss Trunchbull, the sister-in-law, the sort of interloper into their family who's interrupting the the sort of normal flow of inheritance is extricated and orders restored. But Matilda's ends not with uh, lineage being restored, but with adoption. Right. And yeah. You have yeah, I, I don't have too much to say about that except that they're sort of like perfectly counterpointed to each other in a weird way. Yeah, it's a it's a self-crafted family and that's what makes it work, right? Like Doll's saying like you might not be born into a family that appreciates or loves you or that even you should be with, right? Um but that doesn't mean that you can't later on have your like the family that you that you want well except that Um, like the chosen family is um a horrific thing in miss honey's case right where when miss trunchbull chooses to sort of like join this family and reorganize it in such a way it's a sort of horror um but the chosen family is like uh utopic in matilda's case yeah okay yeah i see what you're saying yeah um yeah, I don't know. I think it's. <sighs> yeah, I don't have much to say about it either. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, interesting. Yeah, <laughs> it is, it is it. interesting. I was like, say something smart, fucker. You're like, you're not come Matilda, on, come Katie. On. Say it. Be Matilda. Be Matilda. Not got nothing. I think. Yeah, you're right. And it then you just prank me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh, Sam. Like, check your like. Put on you your like headset. try to take your headphones off. I'm like, what the? <laughs> How did she do that? Um, uh, also, the entire time, I think it was like my VHS copy of like Jumanji as a kid had the trailer for Matilda on it. So I've seen oh. because I watched the fuck out of Jumanji when I was a kid. I have mm-hmm. seen the trailer for Matilda all the time, and it plays <laughs> that song, um, the Sonora song, the whoop whoop. Whoops, Sonora. Yeah. You know? And so yeah. I, just, like, I kept expecting it to play in the movie and never did. But I, I swear to God, I just heard that song on a loop the entire time <laughs> I was reading and watching the movie. So Don't they? They play that song in Casper, too. Oh, really? They do. Yeah. They do. <laughs> That's funny. Um. <laughs> uh, and then what's the other thing I was going to say? Oh, you know, the only thing I'll say, too. I mean, I know we're running long. But it's like thinking back on, you know, the progression of these fantasy novels we've been reading where we start with sort of strict fantasy, like unreflexive fantasy, right? Of the kind we saw in like Bedknobs and Broomsticks or <laughs> Broomsticks, Broomstick, um, and Chronicles of <laughs> Broomstick. Um, it's when you're joking around with brooms um, or <laughs> Chronicles of Narnia. 
And then we got to this sort of like self-reflexive and eventually postmodern take, right? With like the last meta fantasy, and, yeah, um, and Princess Bride, and then we got an even never-ending story, right? It's a novel in a novel where people are watching themselves reading, thinking about their own act of reading, blah blah blah. Here, though, what's interesting is that those are all kind of largely taking place in the fantasy genre firmly, where this is more like a realistic kind of satirical novel that's set within the mundane every day, but it's borrowing the fantasy, right, to to repair right. the everyday. And what's well, and that's interesting... Why, like, oh, I, that's why I was... So, I'm just sorry. That's why I was so surprised when the magic eventually showed up, right? Because it, it takes, like, such a, like like heavy lifting in terms of character development and, and plot development, right? Before we get to that point, because it is, it's, it's not, it's not just like tacked on unconsciously, you know, it's, it's, it's deliberate, but it, it's genuinely surprising as well. Yeah. yeah. And, but what's interesting too, is that anytime you are writing like a reparative story, right? Where you're looking at what is wrong with the world and then making it using fiction to, imagine how to make it better it's interesting to think about it, how the lengths that an author has to go to imagine it being better and what is so interesting about this to me is that in order to repair what Roald Dahl sees as like parents who are shitty and don't like properly care or foster a sort of curiosity and love of reading and thinking and imagining in their children or people who take others money right whether it's miss trunchbulls mm-hmm. or or matilda's father right unjustly undeservingly it ultimately takes a preternaturally gifted genius child with telekinetic powers to make the world right. Like that's what it takes to bring <laughs> sure. about justice, which is also yeah. like, it's delightful and whimsical, but also then bleak, right? Yeah. Yeah. I ain't no Matilda. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm not going to fix the world. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a, but then again, like, like we we're saying, the fact that she then loses those powers at the end, maybe that reestablishes this kind of equal playing ground. Maybe it is that we could all be not just Lavender's, but Matilda's. Like, we might not have that power, but we do have the potential for ingenuity and kindness and happiness, right? That that could make a difference. Yeah. That sounded so, like, optimistic and beautiful. And it's like, shit, I would never say. Uh, I know. <laughs> but, but I did. Um, I know. Then we maybe both go to, like, respective cafes and we see people we know and then, like, go sit at another table. Yeah, we're like, ugh, I don't want to touch it. anybody. I don't feel like being social. I got my fucking Dan DeVito eye staring you down. <laughs> Leave me the fuck alone. But I maybe this novel evokes that. Maybe that's the that's what ultimately is is so beautiful about it is that like because i have such a deep relationship at least to the movie and now to the novel that that i'm okay with that i'm okay with showing a softer side uh just this once okay maybe all right yeah all right i like that <laughs> so i just have I like now i'm just do. like gazing out my window with a thousand yard stare just thinking You're about like, being a better am I person. To? Like, <laughs> I fucking hate Katie now. God, what? she's the worst. Oh my god, don't put words like that in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we are running over, so mm. we can quickly wrap up this episode and this season. Do you want to see what we're Goodbye. doing next season? I'm really excited yes. for it. Yes, we are doing 
15 adaptations of Shakespearean plays. Um, yep. So it includes, includes classics like uh, 10 Things I Hate About You um, or She's the Man. Or, oh. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't, how, dude, how are we going to like actually fucking refer to that? We're just going to be like, and in O. Oh. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, it's hard to say. It's hard to actually articulate. Just, oh, and then in O. Oh. Yeah. I don't know. It's going to be an interesting episode. Um, but we're also going to talk <laughs> about Shakespeare and Love just because it's it's very, very loosely based off of Twelfth Night. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we didn't agree. Totally I did not agree to this. <laughs> you you have to. You have to do this one. Um, <laughs> uh, don't make me watch Shakespeare and Love. It's not a teen movie. We need teens. I mean, it's, but it's, like, I had a poster of Shakespeare in Love in Whoa. my teenage bedroom. All right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> also, like, that's how, like, I got so confused because in that movie, he gropes her with, like, the back of his hand. It's the strangest what? thing. Yeah, like, he, whenever he touches her, it's, like, supposed to be, like, really sexy. He doesn't, like, touch her, but he, like, turns his hand around the wrong way and then will, like, kind of thread his, like the caresses. back of his yeah interesting and yeah it's just it's so confusing because when i was a teenager i was like i've never been groped that way <laughs> <laughs> you're like but i so want to palm. <laughs> um so that's next season it's gonna be mega great it's gonna that was be also like the first time i watched a movie like as like uh, a real like film study experience in high school you know, mm-hmm. I was such a weird kid. I did stuff like that. But that was the first time I watched a movie. I was like, oh, so like best picture winners don't have to be good movies. Oh, Sam, I like, fucking huh. hate you for saying that. Don't you <laughs> go wash Listen, your mouth out. I haven't seen this since I was like 18. So maybe I'll love it this time. No, you won't. Um, but that's okay. That's okay. That's what makes good drama. Makes good podcasting. I know. I think we're at our best when we're dissatisfied. Yeah, yeah, this we were too like lovey dovey for this episode. What the fuck? I mean, I really right. I was re listening to our never ending story one and we were so lively. So Yeah? Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so what are you obsessed with this week, Sam? Um, this week I've been reading the short stories of Lucia Berlin. So okay. like many people, I was not very familiar with her um, or her work at all until um, a collection of her stories was released posthumously. Uh, her short stories were all collected, I should say, um, okay. and released, I think, like a year ago. And I'm finally getting around to reading them. And they are so good. They're really short. Yeah. I love it. I love a short, short story. Um, and they're really oh, like short, funny short. and compassionate. And they've got this really sharp edge to the writing. It's just a real sharp wit to them. And so they're just really great and enjoyable. So I uh, highly right. recommend. Okay. Um, full confession. Mm-hmm. I was just looking around my room for the thing <laughs> I'm, I'm obsessed, obsessed with, with. Legos? I was like, peanuts. A pinata? No. <laughs> peanuts. Bust of Shakespeare. Sunglasses. No, fuck. Um, <laughs> so here's the truth, Sam. And I've done this a few times before, but... Because of, like, all the worky stuff that I've been doing this week. Like, the only thing that I'm into right now is Stephen King's The Stand. But I've only started it. I can't say that I've, I've been, never like, read it. I'm too intimidated on. to ever take it on. It's so long. It is. It's huge. Well, I have the audiobook, and I've been doing that while at the gym. So that's, that's how I've been managing it. But, oh, like, nice. that's the only fun thing that I've, like given myself any time to do because of all this crazy work shit. So Is it good, though? Next time... 
Oh, it's fabulous. It's incredible. Like, it, it's just engrossing. It is also gross. It's kind of hard when you're, like, you're on the treadmill and you already feel like vomiting. And then to hear about people vomiting up, like, you know, this contagious virus. But whatever. Uh, <laughs> so but, I wanted to read it. And then I read, I listened to an audiobook actually, Stephen King's On Writing. It's like his mm-hmm. memoir slash writing guide. And he talks about a giant twist from the middle of the stand and why he decided to do it. And I was like, well, fuck, I didn't know you were going to give oh. that away. But I've kind of forgotten what the twist is. So I think I might oh. try to read it. You should. You totally. I mean, That's a I'm good not summer that book fun, too. but it's it is it's an investment of time. But it's, you know, it's not crazy. In audiobook terms, it's like 46 hours. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, it's like it's like um, thirteen or fourteen hundred pages or something crazy. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, that's what I'm obsessed with. Um, I'm just now realizing that last summer I was obsessed with the Dark Tower series, so it's mm-hmm. kind of funny that I just keep coming back to King, and I've I've gained this kind of newfound appreciation for him. Like, I know he's kind of denigrated as like too popular, uh, but like oh, really? I think there's a yeah. Just I mean, like you know, there's not. I guess. Not like too many classes that you could take in college. Oh, um, totally. King, right. But I really am becoming more and more convinced that he is a genius, that he is tapping into a lot of really mm. interesting things. So that's all to say that's what I'm doing, except I'm not doing too much of that because I got a lot of shit to do. <laughs> and I leave for I leave for Wisconsin tomorrow afternoon. So, you know, it's, it's that that's thing. That's a lot. That whole thing. That's yeah, a lot. Yeah. Well, Katie, I wish you Godspeed um, getting your work done, and I hope you enjoy Wisconsin. Thank you. And I can't wait to see you on the other side when we can start next season. Yes, yes, soon-ish, not too long, yeah. All right, Billy Zanos, I hope you remain in Zanos. Aw. And you, Do you think if he developed telekinetic powers, he would use them for good? No. It's he would just, like, say. make his nipples grow even darker somehow. <laughs> he would, like, make them larger. You're obsessed. You're obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> it would just, like, become one giant nipple across his chest. That's all he would do with he it. He just become. he's more nipple than man now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, anyways, farewell, our our fellow listeners, not fellow listeners, our listeners, <laughs> farewell. See you next time. Boy. Bye.